took a class in apologetics a number of years ago. Apologetics is the discipline of being able to defend your belief in the existence of God and the claims of Jesus Christ. And one of the, in one of the classes, the professor said, now you're, you're going to hear this a lot. Uh, is there anything God can't do? If God is so strong and powerful, he's all power, is there anything God can't do? And he said, just get to the answer quickly and tell them, yes. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of things that God can't do. He can't violate logical definitions. Right? He can't make a, a round square or a square circle. There's a lot, many, many things that God can't do, and you should be thankful. God cannot lie. What he says is true. It is always true and has to be true. God cannot break a promise. He swears by his own name and his own integrity, and we are part of those covenants that he swore by. We should be grateful that he cannot break those. He, he cannot change. He cannot grow. He cannot like evolve. He cannot learn because God is complete. There's, there are many things that God cannot do. Listen to this life-changing declaration of truth that Yahweh God cannot be anything but good. God cannot do anything but out of goodness. That is who he is. That is what he does. It's all for good. Yahweh is uh, his ambitions are always for goodness. Our daily blessings are from a consequence of his goodness. He created all things because he is good. He saved us because of his goodness. And trusting, changing your mind, okay, that's going to be the theme today. We're, going to, we're in an apologetics class. We're going to change the way we think about God. And we're going to particularly change the way we think about God's goodness. Because if we can change our thinking about the goodness of God, it will absolutely change our lives. And here's why. Because we live lives with a distorted view of who Yahweh is and what his attributes are. And the primary, most common lie that we believe is whether or not God is good. The, the, the thing that... that we assume in every temptation is whether or not God has the best for us. It goes all the way back to the beginning. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, the original temptation is a function of, is God really good? I mean, when you consider <clears throat> you know, the, the place of that temptation, right, the, the tree of forbidden fruit, they have an entire garden to run and play in. How do they find themselves at that tree of forbidden fruit? And what are they hearing? What are they pondering? Is Yahweh good? Is, is, is there something that that tree has that would enable me to live a better life, to be a better person? If you take and eat from this, you could be like a God. There is the fear of missing out. That's what's happening they're questioning God's goodness, that he would withhold something that's good, as though he could. And so they took and they ate and they died. 
So we, we, we go right back, you and I, we're, we're just back in the garden regularly. We falsely assume about whether or not God has our best for us, and so it makes it very difficult for us to, to give ourselves entirely surrendered to the Lord. As we were just singing, just completely giving ourselves over to the Lord. The reason we double clutch, the reason we second think about it, the reason we wonder, okay, we should be careful before we make that kind of decision is fundamentally because we might, we think we might miss out on something. We might lose something by being nothing but completely surrendered to him. That's our bent. That's what it means to be bent. And this change of understanding, of thinking about the goodness of God in my life absolutely changed me. And after acknowledging what we're going to look at today, some of my greatest doubts and temptations, they became like fragile and pathetic. Because in the midst of those temptations, in the midst of those doubts, I would say, sometimes even out loud, stop it. Shut up. That's a lie. Yahweh is good. He can't be anything but good. All his word is good. So, and then I'm just move on to the next activity because I, what we'll learn today. So how about you? Do you understand about what it means to, that God is good, that God can't be anything but good. He can't act in any way. He can't have a motive different than goodness. Here's Tozer's definition of the goodness of God. He says, the goodness of God is that which resolves, resolves means requires, okay? The, the goodness of God is that which requires him to be kind. Look at, look at these descriptive words. They're great. Kind and cordial and benevolent and full of good, goodwill towards men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy. He, is he has an unfailing attitude towards all moral beings and is open and frank and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes total pleasure in the happiness of his people. That's a great definition for the goodness of God. And when we look at the goodness of God, it's important to understand that it is not only just an attribute of God, a single attribute of God, but many scholars will tell you, and I'll show you why in just a minute, but it's the sum total of all of his attributes. It's a, a, a simple description of, of who God is, that God is good. It is the essence of God. And, and the reason we can know the, the power of his goodness here, the all-inclusive umbrella term of his goodness is because Moses asks to see God. He says, show me your glory. And Moses has had a greater relationship with God than anybody in history up to this period of time. No one has had the exposure to Yahweh like Moses has. He, had, he hears God's voice. He heard it in the, in the burning bush and is able to tune into that frequency now and hear God's voice regularly. He has is, he is seen God's power in the 10 plagues. He experienced God's protection with the parting of the Red Sea. And even with all of that, it's not enough for Moses. And so Moses says, I want to know you. 
I want to see you. I want a personal, intimate relationship with you. And he demands in chapter 33 of Exodus, verse 18, he says, show me your glory. And Yahweh responds like this. And Yahweh said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. All my goodness will pass in front of you. You want to see my glory? I'm bringing you all of my goodness. That's the idea of this sum total of all attributes. God seems to be summarizing his attributes with this all my goodness. And uh, J.I. Packard adds an interesting perspective on this. Let me give you a quote from him on this particular passage. He says, with the cluster of God's moral perfections, there is one in particular which which points us to goodness. It's the quality which God especially singles out uh, from the whole by, by, by proclaiming all his goodness to Moses. He spoke to himself as abundant in goodness. And the, the idea of, of, a, of his goodness is a qualitative and quantitative goodness. J.R. Packer says this, that his goodness is his generosity. God shows us his goodness in his generosity. J.I. Packer is basically saying these two words are synonyms. When you're generous towards a person, you're giving something to someone without any ill motive, not to be paid back for no other reason because you're good, you're generous. When you give someone something that's in a generous context, it is uh, not because they necessarily deserve it. It's just because of your intrinsic goodness. When you are generous towards someone, you usually give them more than they could ever expect. That's what it means to be generous. That's what it means to be good. And God is good. So when Jesus is teaching about the nature of God's goodness, he says, and the Father allows it to rain on the wicked and the righteous because he's good. He's good all the time. He's good to everyone, all people. He is lavish. Yahweh is good means Yahweh is extravagant. And so the way we apply this into our lives is to first see that in the passages of the Bible, we need to look for this generosity and goodness as we turn our pages and read about the goodness of God. It's on every page. It's implied or it's explicit. The goodness of God is the foundation that we build the rest of our faith on. And the reason you need to build on the foundation of the goodness of God is because when you trust God, you're trusting in his goodness. When you doubt God, it's more than likely that you're doubting in his goodness. The goodness of God never varies. It never fluctuates. It's in intensity. It has to stay at full power. It always, he is always generous Perfect, perfectly generous all the time. There's never been a time in history where he was less good. There'll never be a time in history or in the future where he would be more good. He can't be anything but perfectly good all the time. So let me show you about the goodness of God. Let me give you some examples of how God shows his generosity towards us and how we can experience the goodness of God. As the psalmist wrote, taste and see that Yahweh is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. How does God reveal his goodness? How does he show us his generosity? 
Have you seen his work? Have you seen what he's done? Creation is one of the fullest expressions in the extravagance of God. In the creation story, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there is a repetition, a prominent theme of goodness. It's defining who God is. It is defining what goodness is. This is what creation looks like. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and void. Darkness ruled over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good. There was light. And it was good. And it separated light from darkness. And God said, let the light be called the day and the darkness be called the night. And there was evening and there was morning and it was the first day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And God saw that and said, it is good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds of plants, according to the various kinds of vegetation. And so it was so. And God saw that and said, it is good. And there was evening and there was morning. It was the third day. The various kinds of plants. Did you know that there are 400,000 different kinds of of flowers? Do you think we'd get by with 200,000 different kinds of flowers? He's generous. He's good. And then God said, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night and let, the, let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times and the days of the year. And it was so. And God saw that and said it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. In the observable universe, by we little humans, there are, as it says, scientists will tell you, that there's possibly as many as 10 billion different galaxies. Now, you probably don't know, the average galaxy has 100 billion stars. So the math goes that there are in the observable universe, what's the one, one billion trillion stars? There's a billion trillion stars. Do you know why? Because Yahweh is generous. It is it's in his goodness that he puts these into the night sky. It is his extravagance on display. He's not even showing off yet. And then God created the creatures of the sea and every living thing that was in the water that teems and moves about it according to their kind. And then every winged bird according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning and that was the fifth day. Do you know how many kinds of fish and fowl there are? Scientists say there are a lot of them. And God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move among the ground according to their kind. And God saw 
that it was good. And then he said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they might rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. The only thing that was not good in the first two chapters of the Bible was that man was alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And Yahweh said, we need to fix that. And so we did. Summary of the story goes like this. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the sixth day. God's goodness is displayed in creation. His generosity is overflowing in what we see and taste and smell and touch. And we, when we enjoy creation, when we find ourselves celebrating in all of this beauty, what we're celebrating is the goodness of God. When we watch sunrises or sets or a lightning storm over the city, we, we are worshiping God's goodness when we're doing that. God gave us so much more than we ever needed to survive. Everything we experience is an expression of the goodness of God. Every job we've had, every relationship we enjoy, every tree, every flower, some cats, they're expressions of the goodness of God. Every corner of your life, every experience that you might have is a blessing from God. And the point is, is to be grateful. The point is, is to be grateful. It is, it is you, you cannot be happy without being grateful. You can't. And watch this. It works both ways. If you're grateful, it's impossible to be unhappy. If you're happy, you're grateful. You can't be happy and ungrateful. Gratitude is the natural response to the goodness of God in what we see and touch and smell and taste. But I want to bring the goodness of God into a personal part of our life. I want us to experience the goodness of God in the way the Bible describes it in, in a relational way. Because if we, could, if we could see the goodness of God this way, if we could meditate on, on the personal part of the goodness of God, this is the part that will change our lives. So if you'll just enjoy this for a second, I want you to imagine who you would consider the greatest hero in human history, okay? Who, who would that person be that is the most to be admired? It could be somebody, you know, in, in science or somebody a genius like Beethoven or Isaac Newton. It could be a former president like George Washington. It could be a hero like Esther or uh, Joan of Arc. Okay, by the way, I know it's church, but we're going to put Jesus over here for this, okay? The, the second most admirable person, whatever, okay? Give me somebody like Shakespeare, if you like that. Okay, so here's the point. You, who's that person in your imagination? You get a letter, a handwritten letter in the mail, and that person has asked you to a long dinner, and you could spend the evening with that person. Now, let's just pretend after this extended exposure to this life hero, greatest person that's ever existed in life, in your imagination, at the end of that meal, the person says, you know, I have really enjoyed our time together. And I was wondering if you would consider being my friend. Would you be my friend? Now, 
If it were me, I would probably start with, I'm not worthy to be called your friend. I don't want to do that title. Honestly, I've been nervous through this whole meal. I haven't eaten or slept since I got the invitation. You are very good to ask, but I, you know, and he would, the hero would say, yeah, I, yeah, I am good to ask. I want you to be my friend. Not that I need you to be my friend, but I want you to be my friend because of the goodness in my heart. I want you to be my friend because I'm generous with friendships. I like to have a lot of friends. And then you'd say, yeah, okay, that'd be great. Um, you are generous with your friends. And I would really like to be your friend. And it's going to be kind of weird at first because I've never had a friend like you. And I'm grateful for that. If all of that happened, would you be uh, careless? Would you take that friendship for granted? Would you even keep that friendship quiet? Oh, no, you would not. You would make sure everybody knows that you are personal friends with this person as much as they would tolerate it, way past as much as they would tolerate. What you got there, a ham sandwich? <laughs> that reminds me of the time that Ludwig and I were having lunch together. Did you know Ludwig von Beethoven likes ham? I do, because we're friends. Here, look at this. He's on the front of my, uh, my cell phone favorite section. He's above my wife and my mother. There he is right there. He's teaching me sign language, if you look real close. Yeah, that's us hanging out. Here's another picture of us at the piano together. He's very kind. He's very good. He lets me play the piano with him because he wants to be my friend. You get it? Yahweh has asked to be our friend. And he does that out of his goodness for no other reason than he's generous because he's extravagant with the word friend. And he brings that to us, the great I am, Yahweh, God Almighty, and he says, let's be friends. And he does this, and this is how, and listen, this is how it changes your life. If you let that friendship change your identity, then your life will be changed. That God wants to be our friend, that's how he expresses his goodness relationally. He comes after us and says what people in relationships say. Could you talk to me? Would you listen to me? Could we converse? Can we commune with each other? That would be great if we could just spend time together talking and listening and communing. And he does that. And the, the, the church word for talk to me is prayer. And when Jesus is teaching the greatest sermon ever spoken in, um, in Matthew, I think it's chapter 7, Jesus says this, hey, listen, 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 ask, seek, knock, talk to me is what he's saying. Ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. Everybody that does, everybody that asks, they receive. Everybody that seeks finds, everybody that knocks, those doors are swung open. Just talk to me. And then he says this about the goodness of God. Look, you guys, if your son asked for a loaf of bread, uh, would you give him a rock? No. If he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? No, you wouldn't. And here's what he says. And then, okay, you, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your good and generous father give you all good things. See the theme? That's the goodness of God. You, you can't even 
You can't think good, and God the Father is gooder than you. So talk to Him. Yahweh is saying, let's have a relationship. Ask, seek, knock. I'm generous with my time. He says, listen to me. That's what happens in relationships. We're talking and we're listening. And so he wants us to listen to him because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know his heart and his soul. And so he's written us a book, a letter to each and every one of us so that we might experience that. It's the Bible. Yes, you know. But we don't read it that way like it's a relational book. The, um, you, many of you probably know the, the books uh, um, God Calling and Jesus Calling. Okay, they're extremely popular, bestsellers, and I think the reason is because the genius of these two books are they take passages out of the Bible, and then they write them like they're written from Jesus calling, Yahweh calling. They're written to the person, and so people just read through these books, and they go, this is like God's talking to me. Yes, it is, because he is, (laughs) because he's relationally generous. He's good He's a good, good father that wants to talk to us. He wants us to listen to him. He wants to enjoy time together. Sociologists would tell you that one of the more um, bonding social events that humans can experience is having a meal together, dining together. So even in the imaginary story, a couple you know, movements back here, right? I said, hey, you could go to have a dinner with this hero of yours. I didn't say you could have... You know, a, a stiff meeting in a cold office without windows. I said, no, it's going to be a long dinner because we know that's a thing that causes us to bond to one another. God wants to have dinner with you. It's called communion. And while there's multiple meanings and purposes uh, layered deep in the communion meal, the Lord's table, could we just stop and make it as simple as possible? It's a dinner with God. And not just any dinner. The Passover meal is the single most important meal in the Jewish experience. It is saved for only family and tender friends. And you have them over, and Jesus did that. It was a Passover meal. He changed the meaning. He made it the Lord's table. He brought in the new covenant with it, all that. But listen, it's dinner with the king. And it's a mystical, mysterious event that we experience even in the current expression of that. Jesus requires us to have a regular communion. Do you know why? Because he is relationally good. He says, you guys need to do this as much as possible. So some churches make it every week. Some churches make it once a year during that one Passover meal and some once a month, whatever it might be. But look, what's the message? God Almighty says, let's have dinner together. Do you know why? Because he's good. He doesn't need to have dinner with us. He's generous. He just does it because that's his nature. Even the salvation experience is based on the goodness of God. A king who will spend whatever it takes to rescue those who have been trapped by the demons in the world. So how do you respond to the generous goodness of God? Well, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. How do you respond to that? Well, you believe what is true. You change the way you think. Not what you want about God, what you hope that he's good. It's not about hope. It's not emotionally desiring it. It is this fact 
that God is good and he can be no other way. And so the first response that I was thinking of is you repent. You repent of, of unbelief and you repent of ingratitude. You, um, uh, it says in Romans, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Isn't that a great sentence? It's the goodness of God that re- leads us to repentance. And we should repent for not believing and trusting in the goodness of God. It's easy to believe that we might be left out of something. We are sons of Adam and we are daughters of Eve. And we doubt in God's goodness and we have contempt and we're ungrateful for his provisions. But that needs to stop. Here's a great uh, quote from I don't even know who. But years of rebellion against God have bred in us a fear that cannot be overcome in a day. Good. Let's spend the rest of our life working on this. We must be dedicated to identify what exactly we're accusing Yahweh of when we have our doubts. Are we accusing him of being stingy, of cruel, being cruel, being of unkind? We have to, in our thoughts, we need to stop and say, what am I accusing Yahweh of here? Of, of withholding something from me for being stingy? And then we stop, we think, we say, he can't even be stingy. God couldn't even want to be stingy. He doesn't know how to be unkind. This is the the round square thing. And so when we find ourselves doubting that, we need to stop and repent and say, Lord, I, I am assuming the very worst of who you could not be instead of imagining the greatest that you could be. And then we start with repentance. I am believing and trusting in the wrong things, these lies about God. He has to be good. He is generous. The second one is that we need to rest in times of adversity and in times of temptation. Because when, it, you know, when we're gazing at that forbidden fruit, when we find ourselves contemplating, oh, no, you know, God is withholding something good from us, we need to stop and do this. We need to stop and ask the question, could God be anything but good? No. Is that thing that's forbidden, that forbidden fruit, is that thing that God is saying, don't go there, is it even possible that it could be good for us? It can't be. There's this one sentence that has changed my entire life. And it was, very, it was during a dark time, I was reading and wrestling with the goodness of God and, and, and even how could bad things happen to good people. There were a lot of layers and many angles of things that were happening in my life. Now, interestingly, just to, for some reasons I don't like myself, but I, I, had, I was memorizing this particular sentence in Romans chapter 8. I'm going through this. I'm trying to figure out if God is good and the problem of evil. I'm just dutifully memorizing this passage. And then I realized the passage I was memorizing was answering the questions that I was asking. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how would he not also with him freely give us all things? Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son. <laughs> he's, Yahweh has already given me the most precious possession. How would he not also with him freely give us all things that I would need? All things that would be good. 
that, that is, that sentence changed my life. I realized there, he's already, he's already proved that he can't be stingy. He's already shown that he's generous. How could he not also with, with Jesus now at his side, just freely give us? He can't hold back his son. Why would he hold back some trinket? And, and that's what, that sentence shows that it is logical to give this king your entire life as, as a logical expression of worship, becoming a, a living sacrifice, because it makes sense for who God is and who he's not, who he is and who he cannot be. So you repent and then you risk and, and, and then you rest. You don't have to put up a fight anymore during these difficult times. You just resolve. And then the last one is just, I want you to think about doing this risk in a way, entering a place of fear that you've never gone before, knowing the goodness of God, being confident and trusting in the goodness of God. Go someplace you don't like going, take those next little bitty steps and say, say this sentence, say these verses back and forth. Say, for Yahweh is the sun and the shield. Yahweh gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk in integrity. No good thing does Yahweh withhold from those who walk in integrity. He's sun. That, that is power. That is energy. That is life itself. He's the shield. He's your protection, right? And no good thing, here's the promise, no good thing we withhold. And so, like, risk, live all the way for the, for the glory of God, right? Because he's a good, good father in your sexual life, Live that expression of what it means to, you know, right, live uprightly in your sexual life because you're not going to miss out on anything. Live with integrity in your financial life. Nothing good will be withheld from you. Live uprightly in your relationships. There's nothing to lose. Live uprightly in your spiritual life. There's really no such thing as sacrifice in obedience. You always get a return on that investment, and it's thousands fold. You know why? Because God is generous. No, no, no. He's extravagant. He's good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. To know God is to trust God. To trust God is to trust in his goodness. It's to trust in his generosity. It's to trust in his extravagance. It's to trust in his nature. It is to know what he, he is and what he cannot be. And when that happens in a soul's life, they are overcome with peace and joy. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Let's pray. Lord, Yahweh God, do good in your good pleasure with us. Act towards us, not as we deserve, but as you come to see what we would need and what would be good for us, being the God that you are, we should have nothing to fear, only a joy in life 
even in sorrow and suffering, we know that even those things will be worked out together for the good since we love you and we're called to that purpose. Lord, let us be a church that celebrates your goodness, that brags about it like you are our great hero. You are a good, good father. As you call us deeper still, we will not doubt your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.